Welcome to Oak City Church, a family of learners, lovers, and givers sent. For more information, visit us online at oakcitychurch.com. Let us know if we can help you in any way. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning, Oak City Church. Thanks uh, for everybody that is tuning in. Um to our inaugural live stream we um <clears throat> i want to uh take a minute and just thank a few people that have worked super hard over the past like really thirty six hours you know Thursday we're having conversations all day long about what do we do and with services and can we live stream and how do we do that and then within like thirty six hours um a few people worked super hard to figure that out. So I want to uh, thank um, Daniel Floyd in particular, who's actually right in front of me. So thanks, Daniel. Uh, um, and and spent a ton of time researching all this stuff. And uh, Tiffany has spent a ton of time researching all this stuff. And the Enzors were here for a few hours uh, yesterday helping us out with this. And Sam and Jake um, put in time making stuff available. And so... Um, This is a big deal, and I'm thankful for that. This is pretty weird. I'm sitting here with a ring light in front of me that I'm sure every time I close my eyes for the next three days, I'm going to see this light and and a webcam. And uh, I'm sure it's weird for you, too. But I think this is going to be our normal for a few weeks. So I want to at least. And so I want to spend a minute uh, talking about you know, how we think this is going to progress and um, what what I think this could be like. Because the more I thought about that over the last few days, I was pretty excited about it. Um, I, I, I will say this first, and I think I said this in my email the other day. Like, I, I don't, this isn't optional. Like, this is not a snow day, you know, where this happens once in a while. And so I figure people are out playing with their kids and so I live stream. This is going to be our normal for a little while. And so um, I've this is how we're going to gather as church. And I fully expect you to take time out on your Sunday morning and to uh, check into this. We didn't put anything out in terms of worship music uh, this week, but we're going to next week. And so that it's possible that that's some YouTube, you know, links of songs that um, would go along with the message. But it's more likely that we're going to have Jake up here with somebody singing along with him. Uh, and playing and leading us in worship. And so I expect that you are going to turn the volume up and gather with your family and sing out loud to the Lord uh, together. And I think that's going to be really awkward uh, for a minute, but then I think it's going to be beautiful. And I think it's going to be intimate in a way that um, worship often isn't, you know. Uh, I remember a few years ago, and some of you will remember this when Pat Patrick uh, put the band on the floor and then he put the chairs like facing each other and and wanted to do that so that we could have this sense that we're worshiping with each other. And it was fantastic. You know, it's not practical to have the band on the floor all the time and change the seats all the time. Um, but we did that and we thought it was great. And so I think this is gives us an opportunity to have that type of intimate worship as a family. And I think we're going to think, oh, man, we should have been doing this before. And we should do it after things return to normal. And so I think that's an opportunity. Uh, Sam has worked to pare down the children's ministry curriculum 
into a, a digestible size for you as a parent to teach uh, to your children. And the videos that we have access to on Sunday mornings, all of that is linked on the homepage and so that you can get um, this stuff for your kids so that you as a parent can, you know, be your, your children's minister and, and, um, do the children's ministry curriculum with your kids. And I think that'll be a great experience for you. And I think it'll be a great experience for your kids. And so, uh, we expect you to do that. Um, there'll be a chance for you to pray as a family together. And I'm going to end this podcast or webcast today, um, not by praying, but by telling you to pray. And then I, I, I expect you to gather as a family and to pray together. Um, it may um, turn out that after a few weeks, you want to gather with your home group because that's a gathering of less than 100 people. And we, we sent out some emails about home groups gathering that your home group gets together and does all of this stuff together. And so there are some opportunities that I think is going to feel a little bit like house church for a little while. And I think that's going to be fantastic. Like I really, it didn't take long, a few hours for me to get excited about those possibilities. And so we'll have more information about that and things will progress over the next few weeks. And if you have experience um, producing live stream stuff and you've got ideas, uh, we'd certainly be open to those and, and to let us know. Um, but there's some, some good things already that are, that are coming out of this and some potentials that we see um, in it. This, this morning, uh, this is going to be shorter than a normal service. We're going to have worship. My message is going to be shorter. Uh, I decided to take a break from the series that we're in, Faces of Easter, and I'll be back in that next week talking about Pontius Pilate and how he teaches us about uh, faith. And I'm excited about that message. I decided this week to, to do something different uh, for a few reasons. One, so that I could keep it a little bit shorter because we're not used to doing this. Um, and two, because I, I just, I had some things to say about what we're going through right now, uh, as a church, as a city, uh, as a country, and really like globally what we're going through, because this is something that we've never seen before and thought it was right, um, to speak to some of those things, uh, that are going on as we deal with, uh, this virus. So, um, a few, a few weeks ago about probably like a week and a half ago, we're in staff meeting, uh, we start talking about the coronavirus and that maybe this a week and a half ago, that maybe we're going to have to do some things to respond to it. And so we started talking about communion and how um, we probably should get some cups and figure out different ways. And we um, emailed the hospitality team to get them thinking about it. And we thought, you know, we might be a little bit early on this, but people will appreciate being (laughs) prepared. This is a week and a half ago. And, um, in that day in staff meeting, I did say, like, this was starting to feel like uh, something, something different. Um, I, am, I am, might be the first to make fun of the milk and bread crowd, you know, when we are facing our, our three inches of snow, snowstorm, um, even as I am buying milk and bread, because it's what you have to do, but to be a little bit cynical about how we overreact to that. But I said that day, this is starting to feel like just different. Um, when Italy, which is a nation of 60 million people, and like I looked all this stuff up, quarantined its country for 10,000 cases of the coronavirus, I thought that seems like an overreaction, but I'm guessing that, that there are people out there that know something that we don't know, and that something is coming that is going to turn our lives upside down in a way that our lives have never been turned upside down. 
Um, I had no idea that that was going to come. No one, I don't think, had any idea that that was going to come this fast. And so I want to spend a few minutes talking about how I see this thing moving through like three phases. And I think individuals move through these three phases. And I think our culture is moving through these three phases. And I see people at each of these phases. And then how the church has the opportunity to respond to each of those three phases. Because I think we have fantastic opportunities. So the first phase is cynicism. And that is the like, we're overreacting to this. You know, this is like a snowstorm and getting our milk and bread. We're getting played by the media. Uh, I was listening to a podcast yesterday where they suggested that, that we have a 24-hour news cycle and they need something to talk about. And I, I don't think that's true, but that was the logic that was um, coming out. And I have heard this from from individuals this week, you know, that we're we're shutting things down, and we're going to need to do that, but we don't need to do that now. Like, we could wait a few weeks, and, and that this is a bit of an overreaction. Even a guy yesterday, and this this really surprised me, he um, runs—I I didn't talk to him. was on a podcast. He ran the Baptist Health System, which is a huge health system in Louisville, Kentucky, and is a doctor and is retired now. And he said some things that I thought were helpful. Um, he said that this is a strand of a coronavirus, but we've been dealing with coronavirus f- for a long time, and so we know a bit about it. Um, he said that they have all, in the past, reacted to the weather, and so we'll probably see a natural slowdown in the next few weeks. But even then, he thought we—and this guy ran a health system, thought we were overreacting, and I just thought um, he's wrong about that. But so I think there's a way to that people are responding in kind of a cynical, skeptical, we're overreacting type way. I think the second one is to, is to get to a point of like, okay, we, yeah, there's something to deal with, and we need to, to take these precautionary measures. But, you know, it's a, it's a 2 to 3% mortality rate. Most people don't get too sick, and, and, and a lot of people don't even know they have it. And so it's not going to affect me that much. And so we respond to it in like, um, like it's an, almost like a novelty or an amusement uh, of what we're going to have to, to go through. And so our conveniences are being taken away. And the things that we entertain ourselves are being taken away. And I've said this before that uh, possibly the, the biggest um, virtue we have as a culture is busyness. You know, uh, you want to face public shame, tell people that you're not very busy and they'll look at you cross-eyed and our busyness is going to be affected. Like, I think our busyness is going to be taken away and we're going to be forced to slow down and, um, and we're going to have to adapt and there's going to be a void to fill or voids to fill. And so I think that second stage is like a novelty in amusement. And then there's a third phase, which is a fear and anxiety, um, we just don't have any idea what's coming. You know, I read one report this week and it was a guy that testified to Congress. So he must know something because he's testifying to Congress. And he said that he estimates that 70 to 150 million people are in the United States are going to get the coronavirus. Now, my first thought was, man, if you're going in front of Congress and saying 70 to 150 million people, you might as just might as well just say, I'm not very good at doing my job. And so I need an 80 million person wiggle room thing when I go before Congress. And if I were Congress, I would, I would have just said next, you know? Um, but, 
but other like I think the CDC estimated 25 million people in, in the United States are going to get this virus. We have 3,000 confirmed cases right now, and we're doing all the things that we're doing. I, I can only imagine what it would be like if 25 million people uh, end up getting this. And so things will move relatively quickly from novelty into anxiety and fear. Um, people will, will fear for their health. It's going to take one person close to you um, getting this, one person that's at risk uh, getting it and experiencing, you know, severe symptoms from it or passing away. And it's, it seems likely that you'll end up knowing somebody that, it, and then it's going to become real in new ways uh, for you and for the people around you. A two to 3% mortality rate, rate doesn't, doesn't seem high and it's not high until you get it. Um, when I had heart surgery years ago, there was a, the doctor told me it was a two to 4% mortality rate. And that kept me up at night um, for a, a bunch of nights uh, leading up to that surgery. And so I think um, it's going to move to that. Uh, I, you've probably seen this, but y'all like ammunition is selling out. <laughs> People are moving to fear and anxiety. And in Italy, uh, I guess the only thing that's open are pharmacies and grocery stores, and there's no food on the shelves. Uh, my in-laws told us last night that in Florida, and they've got a, a lot of high-risk population, you know, but they're closing down everything but gas stations and um, and grocery stores and certainly pharmacies. But when it gets to that point, people are going to move into a stage of fear and anxiety. Now, how do we how do we respond to this? How does the church respond in these phases? Um, when it comes to cynicism, uh, I, I think we respond, you know, I, I don't, I don't think that's a great, um, track for us to take as a church. And so we, we haven't been responding like that. We have been taking this seriously. Like I said, even for a few weeks, been looking at that. And so up until a few days ago, we thought, well, we're going to have service, but there are some things that we need to do, um, to adapt. And so we had made plans. We had bought hazmat suits for our greeters so that they could meet you at the door in their ET suits. Now we didn't really do that, but we did have plans for our greeters to meet you at the door with some hand sanitizer and to give everyone a squirt of hand sanitizer on their way in and thought, you know what? Some people are going to roll their eyes at that. Um, this was Wednesday. We're having this conversation, you know, and so there are some ways that um, that we were ready to respond even in that. And, but I think the church's response needs to be uh, to take it seriously. I think we need to, to listen to, you know, our leaders in public health and our culture that are experts in this type of thing. I think we need to listen to our political leaders. And so when they said social distancing is the way, then I think that there's an opportunity and biblically even a, you know, a mandate for us to submit to our leaders um, and to look for opportunities to love our neighbors. Uh, there are times when, when we as a church are, are just going to have to stand in contradiction to our culture and even to our government. Uh, there are times when we're going to have to be in confrontation with them because of some, you know, biblical truths that we hold to. Uh, this is not one of them. Um, this is not a time where we as a church want to be dragging our heels or even sitting on the sidelines, this is a time when we have an opportunity to lead, uh, where I think we as the church are equipped to lead, 
where God's given us a mandate to lead and it's a chance for us to make God look good. You know, there's a verse in the Sermon on the Mount where he says, let your light shine in such a way that people might see your good works and glorify your father who's in heaven. And there are going to be opportunities um, to do that here. One of the things that I listened to yesterday was about uh, what's going on in Nashville over the past few weeks. And they had those tornadoes go through a few weeks ago, and um, it was devastating if you saw any of that. Um, In fact, Daniel, who, as I mentioned, is here, was in Nashville, and that was miles away from the hotel that he was staying in for work. Well, they've had, they've had such a response for, of people helping that they've had to like turn people away and say, we've got all the help that we need. And it was, a, it was a big deal. And people credit that to the church being so strong in Nashville. And that's the type of thing that makes God look great when we as the church become the church and act like the church. And so I think that's the way we respond. We need to be ready as a church and not cynical and not skeptical and not dragging our feet, but preparing for ways that God wants to use us. This, um, this, this could get, this could get, I don't know that it's going to, but it could get crazy fast. Even if the mortality rate is similar to the flu, uh, this is different. We don't have any immunity built up to, to this, um, There is no, with the flu, like, raise your hand if you got vaccinated for the flu. You know, half of you are raising your hand uh, because a lot of us get vaccinated for the flu. No one's been vaccinated for this. And so everybody is susceptible for this. Uh, Even if only one in six cases gets to be severe or one in ten cases or whatever the estimate is, uh, that's a lot of cases, and you can look at the you know, any of those flattening the curve type things and talk about how many hospital beds that we have and and depending on how fast this hits, how many we'll need. And that's a big deal. Um, I have a a friend who, who, you know, works with the UNC health system. And he said, I talked to him yesterday. He was in meetings all day yesterday and they're figuring, they're trying to figure out, he said they're trying to figure out how to create a virtual hospital, which didn't make sense. We didn't have a lot of time to talk, but how to turn things upside down right now as a health system. And they have, he said for the next 90 days, they're going to cancel all routine appointments. Any elective surgeries are going to be canceled because they're trying to create capacity within their healthcare system for whatever might be coming next. Uh, I think I mentioned a minute ago that in Italy, maybe I didn't in Italy, I read that they are having to make decisions about who gets a ventilator and who doesn't. Uh, because they don't, they only have so many of them, and that is, you know, one of the things that, in a severe case, this leads to is is real big respiratory problems. Uh, so I, we need to take that stuff seriously. Um, there's a verse in Titus that says, "Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, and to be ready for every good work." And that's a verse for right now: to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, and to be ready for every good work. Uh, so, so do the things, you know, wash your hands a lot. Um, try not, I've never noticed how much I touch my face. Just a minute ago, I was touching my face thinking, stop touching your face. Like, I, I guess stop touching your face, you know, like do the things that they're asking us to do and love your neighbors and, and more on that in a minute. Now, I said skepticism and then novelty and amusement and then fear and anxiety. And that was skepticism. How do we respond to that? I think you move, you move through that quickly um, when it comes to someone close to you. And so this is, this is what happened to us this week. Last weekend, 
Uh, our youngest son, Jonathan, had his best friends, these two twin boys, stayed over uh, night on Sunday and went back home Monday. On Tuesday, um, or maybe Wednesday, but the thing came out about how the, those Biogen folks from Raleigh went to the conference in Boston and came back, and those were our cases, and that seems like a month and a half ago now, you know? Uh, and then the, a day after an article came out about where they had been and that, that one of them had gone to eat at a place called the Zest Cafe and they shut down the cafe. Well, the twins, my Jonathan's best friend's mom, works at the Zest Cafe. <laughs> she was there the night they were there. Um, the folks that are here right now are thinking, great, we've got coronavirus right here. Because she was there, like, and we're thinking, well, she's there. And then her kids stayed over at our house. My wife is a a nurse for the school system, but really she works for the county, technically, the public, or yeah, for Wake County, um, the health department. And so she called her boss's boss that morning on the way to work and said, hey, do I need to be concerned about this? And uh, that person gave him the green light, but we realized just how fast um, this is, this is going to come. I mean, someone at work or at, at church this week uh, had signed up for the Saturday morning cleaning thing, and this is probably Wednesday, and then she said she found out that somebody at her work had a direct exposure, and so now she's in some type of isolation protocol. Like, it'll move from skepticism to something else quick when you find out how close it is, and I imagine for most of you, you you've already found out how close it is in some ways. Now, um, when it comes to this stage of like, okay, we got to make some changes, but it's, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal. And I'm still, I kind of am in this phase, you know, and it's going to change our lifestyle for a period of time. Um, but, but likely it's not going to affect us in, in, you know, critical ways. And so right now what we experience is that our conveniences are, are being taken away, you know, like we're going to be inconvenienced by the way that we have to live for the next few months. There are no sports, you know, and so what are we going to watch on TV? And so for us, that's led to a few Redbox visits over the past few days. But then I looked at the Redbox movie and I thought that thing's for sure got coronavirus on it. So we're going to have to like sanitize our Redbox. And then you go to the grocery store and there's still food in the grocery store. But then I pressed that button last night. I'm like, there's coronavirus. I'm going to have to go sanitize all the buttons like this type of stuff. Um, and there's almost something exciting about a change and trying to figure that stuff out. Uh, but it's going to, that's going to affect people. Um, and it's, it's just going to change culture and there's going to be some, I don't, I don't even know that I would call it suffering, but like some things are going to be taken away from us, you know, and create some space for us to really reflect on what matters. I said, uh, last week about Lent, um, that Lent Part of what goes along with the traditional celebration of Lent is a period of fasting that is um, a parallel to some times of preparation in the Bible. And for us, it's preparing to celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus. But that that is a self-induced suffering, and it's not to show God how great you are or how much you love him, but it's um, it's to like give some things up and cr- and create a period of reflection on like maybe why they mean, if they mean too much to you and why they mean too much to you and how the Lord should mean more to you than those things uh, do. And really like to force you to ask the question, what do I really 
um, look to for satisfaction in my life. And so I've been this year, probably, I don't know that I've ever done this for Lent, but we, I gave up some things and Twitter was one of them. And pray, thank the Lord that I gave up Twitter. Cause I can only imagine what Twitter is like right now. Like talk about fear and anxiety, go to Twitter. Uh, but we also decided to do the whole 30 thing where you make some diet changes, which seems like a bad idea right now in, in a time of extra stress. Um, but it causes you to ask, like, why do I miss these things as much? And, and why do I not long for the Lord more? I feel like our culture is about to go into its own version of Lent, where we're forced to give up some of our entertainment and our conveniences and our busyness. And it's going to expose our idols, like the things that we put in the place of God. Um, like anybody that has anything in the market has already lost a bunch of money. People are, you know, looking at some insecurity when it comes to their job situation and depending on your job, like to, to great degrees. And so people have already had to give up that idol in some ways, or it's at risk. And that's going to cause a time of reflection where there's going to be an opportunity to, to ask like what matters in life? Um, what do we really look for for satisfaction in life? It made me think of Romans 1, where Paul says, uh, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the created things rather than the, than the creator who is blessed forever. And I think for us as a church, like that's a period of reflection. But I think the people around us are going to be going through that as well. And we're going to have opportunity. You know, we talk about, Um, praying for the folks around us and then gospel demonstration, which we're going to have opportunity for and gospel conversations. And we're going to have opportunities for those because, you know, that's going to be the type of conversation that we have of how things are changing and what that means and what really matters. And so you should be ready for those. I, on Monday, and this had nothing to do with coronavirus and it was before things got super crazy, but I found this article in NPR, um, it's titled too busy, make time to do nothing. And it's a lady who, uh, there's nothing spiritual about it. No indication that she's following Jesus, but she really makes an argument for the Sabbath. So she, she says this, when you collapse on the couch after a long work day and start scrolling through social media, you're not doing your tired brain any favors. Uh, your brain sees your phone as work. To your brain, anytime that phone is visible, part of your brain is expending part of its energy on preparing for a notification to come in like a runner at the starting gate. And I totally get this. Um, researchers have found that simply having your phone nearby can tax your cognition. You are carrying your work literally everywhere. As far as your brain and body are concerned, you're never taking time off. Uh, she cites evidence that the brain works best when it can alternate between focused labor and rest, not multitasking, but focused, you know, one task labor and then not doing anything. And we spend most of our time in the middle of that, um, doing neither one of those things. And so she makes an argument for rest. And then she says, it's time for a reexamination of America's obsession with efficiency and busyness. And she believes that we're pushing our brains and bodies in ways that aren't adaptive and that are playing a role in the nation's fatigue. And so it's time for a reexamination of our obsession with efficiency and speed. And I thought we're about to get 
like a forced re-examination of our obsession with efficiency and speed because in a lot of ways we're going to lose our capacity to be efficient and things are going to seem really inefficient and it's it's just going to turn things upside down and people that have to travel a lot for work are not going to travel for work and we're going to adapt to that um Dana Enzor, I said, was here yesterday, and, and she sells something called WebEx that does this type of stuff, and she said it's flying off the shelves faster than toilet paper right now because people realize they're going to have to adapt. And in that, may we, we may realize, like, we didn't need to travel that much in the first place. Like, we may find that it's possible for us to slow down, but it's really difficult for us to slow down. Um, and there's going to be great opportunities for us as a church as our culture questions what's really important uh, to speak into that and and to speak the gospel into that and to start talking about, you know, what and as we question it ourselves, what really matters to the people around us. And so be ready for those opportunities. Look for them, pray for them, and respond to them. So the, the third phase, you know, cynicism, um, novelty and amusement, and anxiety and fear, um, and I don't think we're there for the most part yet, but I think it, it won't be long. So I'll give one one funny anecdote and one not not funny anecdote about like how fast we'll move there. I have a um, a friend in Memphis, and he sent uh, a couple of us this the other day, uh, where he said he was at Trader Joe's. And he saw some folks, and he said, I've concluded that there are two types of coronavirus preppers. And so he saw these two groups standing next to each other. He said the first was a couple, probably in their late 50s, each with two carts loaded down with canned goods. They were wearing hats, sunglasses, surgical masks, gloves, raincoats, and knee-high boots. (laughs) So that's one group. Right next to him, he said, uh, there's a basic white girl decked out head to toe in Lululemon, uh, Starbucks cup in hand. She had one grocery cart with eight bottles of wine and two cases of White Claw. Now, that's funny. I know someone's laughing somewhere. Someone texted or emailed me the other day, and she said, are you going to have a laugh track? And I thought, I am going to have a laugh track, like, as soon as I can, something to hit the button. This will be my dream, you know? Uh, but, like, that that's it. Like, some people are, you know, on this extreme, and other people are on this extreme, and that marks the transition right there. Now, not funny. In any way, shape, or form, um, I got a call Friday and A.J. Uh, Heinz, who a lot of you know, teenager, Oak City Church, has Down syndrome and so is in it, and respiratory issues generally, and so is in a susceptible population. Um, on Friday, he had had a fever, high fever, for, for four days. So now we're working on six days on Sunday morning um, and, and significant respiratory issues. And they had taken him to their UNC office in Holly Springs and and they can't even, they only have 12 tests for the coronavirus, and they wouldn't give him one because he didn't meet, meet all the qualifications, one of which is you have to have been directly exposed to somebody who has coronavirus. Well, nobody can get tested for coronavirus if nobody has coronavirus. And so they're, you know, like they're desperately trying to figure out, and they're treating the respiratory symptoms, and it's not clear what they would do differently if they knew that he had coronavirus. Um, but he's been tested for the flu, and he's been tested for strep, and it seems likely, like it's very possible that that's what this is. Now, I've been in, I've been talking to Leanne and 
she said that her home group and that Dan, Dan's home group, they're predictably just crushing it and supporting them. And so they don't need anything right now. And she said to help your neighbors. Uh, but, you know, that that's getting real uh, fast. And then you're with, you're alongside somebody that is dealing with the, the fear and anxiety that comes um, with this and that is sure to come. Uh, as I said earlier, it's going to take one person close to you dealing with a severe case of this or passing away, and it's going to be real to you. My mom lives um, in town. She's 75 years old. She went to, uh, they went to see, they got to see the last thing of Les Mis before they shut it down, which is probably a bad idea, you know, but it's just going to take a few people in her community and it's going to be um, real serious. I mentioned earlier the financial impact of this and you know the market got crushed last week but but really the market's probably where it was a year ago because last year was so good as people we as we start to understand what the potential impact of this financially could be you know for folks in industries that are directly impacted by the slowdown um, or how long this is going to weigh down the economy because everything comes from China and China is shut down right now. We don't even, we don't have any idea. As that starts to come out, people are going to deal with real fear and real anxiety and real needs. Uh, there's a woman that has been coming to church uh, for the past few months here, Maisie, who is staying at the, the Helen Wright uh, shelter downtown. It's a woman's shelter. People that are staying in in places like that, they cannot social distance, you know. Coronavirus gets there, it's going to sweep through the thing. That type of stuff is going to happen sooner than later. And this is going to affect, um, the the, you know, the least of these in our culture uh, more than it is the the privileged in our culture. And and so there's going to be a lot of things that happen over the next few weeks and opportunities to respond. Someone emailed me after I sent out that email on um, Friday. And she she has been dealing with coronavirus for a few weeks because she's responsible for all the coronavirus communication that goes out from a, a relatively large, or, like a really large organization. And so she emailed me back and said, man, I, I needed to hear what you said at the end of that about how God is in control. Because all I get all day long is people that are that are fearful and anxious about what this could be. And that was a stark reminder to me that people have moved into that third phase and we need to be ready to deal with it. This is a huge opportunity for the church. Uh, I said last week in context of suffering, um, I talked about God's sovereignty over all things. And that's hard, you know, but if God is not sovereign over a global pandemic, then God is not sovereign. God is surely sovereign over this. Um, God knows what's going on and God is going to use it for his purposes. And we as the church need to be on the front lines of figuring out what it looks like uh, for him to be glorified in this and what it is that he wants to do. And this is not foreign territory for the church. The church for all time has done this. Uh, The early church, and this is well documented and you can read about it. They dealt with the black plague, you know? And so um, in those days when Europe was dealing with the plague, the, the folks that were wealthy, that were privileged, went off into the country and um, escaped it because they could. But the church stayed. They stayed in the cities and they cared for the people that were dealing with the plague. And it, 
like they'll say it's because we weren't scared of death. Um, that's obviously a different thing than what we're dealing with now, but it's similar. And they stayed because they weren't afraid because their faith taught them to not be afraid because God is in control. And the worst thing that can happen is they could die and go to be with Jesus. Uh, that is putting your money where your mouth is. I read an article the other day um, about Charles Spurgeon, and he was a, a you know, renowned minister in London in the mid to late 1800s. And so they were dealing with um, cholera epidemics. Like that was the thing back then. And so he talked about that, about the need to be bold in the face of the illness, because not everyone is going to be about the opportunity to speak the gospel. He said, if there's ever a time when the mind is going to be sensitive, it's when death is abroad. And again, even if this is two to three percent, people are going to see that and it's going to hit close to home. Even if it's the same as the flu, it's going to be exposed in ways that we don't talk about the flu. And um, people are going to be scared and they're going to be looking and people are going to be seeking the Lord in the midst of that. And man, church, that's, that's our time. You know, uh, the Lord has equipped us for that. Some, some passages that came to mind to me, one was, you know, a, like a well-known Psalm, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Uh, I, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. We have to be that people right now. Second uh, Timothy 1, God has not given us a spirit of timidity, of fear, but of power and love and self-control. We are a temple of the Holy Spirit. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in us as the church. And that spirit is not a spirit of fear and it's not a spirit of timidity, but it's a spirit of power and it's a spirit of love and it's a spirit of self-control. And we're going to have opportunities to demonstrate that. Philippians 4 is a, is a well-known verse about anxiety, but like I'm going to back up and read the whole thing. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now's the time to claim that, to access that, to go to him with our requests on, uh, for you, but for the people around you, um, and to seek the peace that only God can, can give us and to project that to the people around us and offer and offer it to them. Finally, uh, Romans 8, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And so now's the time when we look to our Father and draw near to our Father and seek to be the church. And so there are going to be opportunities for us um, as a church. And, you know, immediately 
there are opportunities to, to care for people in the church, and we're doing that. And Jesus said they'll know you're Christians by your love for one another. Um, and so we're called to care for each other. Uh, my wife, again, I said she is a nurse in the school system. And so she said, and you probably heard this, and that the, the local Way County schools have now shut down for at least two weeks. Their hesitancy to do that was in large part because there are a bunch of kids that get fed at school and that's how they get the nutrition. That's how they get breakfast and lunch is because the school system does that. And now that's at risk. And there are parents that can't work from home. And so they got to figure out how to take care of their kids. And so those are opportunities um, for us as a church. Uh, my wife said the food banks are already emptying out. And so now, and this is, this is great opportunity for us as a church, while certain people are hoarding everything, you know, for us to be sharing and to be dropping things off at a food bank to make sure there's one right down the street. The Salvation Army is right down the street to make sure um, that, that people have things. If you have elderly neighbors, check on them. Uh, offer to go to the grocery store for them and get their groceries so they don't have to press the little button that is surely coronavirus infected, you know, uh, check on them, but seek opportunities. I, um, if, if you would like to be a part of a team and we have our Oak City Serve team and I'm going to talk to them, but this is going to be, I think, beyond their capacity and we're going to need creative ideas. But if you want to be a part of a team that prays through and brainstorms how can we serve our community during this time, then email me at jeff at oakcitychurch.com or put it in the chat or whatever it is, uh, and we'll get in touch with you. And this is going to happen fast because we don't know what we're dealing with, and we don't know what opportunity is going to come up, and we're going to have to respond quick. And I get excited about that. Like, there's a chance for us to be the church in, in ways that don't come along um, all the time. So if you want to be a part of that, please uh, let me know. And, and be praying. Um, be praying for your own heart. Um, be praying that God would work in you during this time. Be praying that he would show you opportunities to talk about the gospel to the people around you during this time. Be praying uh, for the people around us that are experiencing, you know, and, and the consequences of this. And be praying for wisdom for our leaders as they're in uncharted territory and they try and figure out what to do. We talk about being a family of learners, lovers, and givers, reaching our neighbors to help them know and follow Jesus. Well, this is an opportunity, you know. This is a chance for us to be family in deep ways and care for each other and check in on each other in, uh, in deep ways. This is, we don't have to stop learning during this time, but we can press into that. Um, and, and certainly there will be opportunities for loving and giving and for reaching our neighbors in unique ways during this time. So church, be the church. And do it well during this time. I'm going to um, I'm going to end with a, um, a quote from the Spurgeon thing that I um, that I mentioned before, and then I'm going to pray after we get off the live stream. And I'm going to do that so you don't think, well, the pastor prayed, so we don't have to pray. I want you to pray when we get done, um, just to whoever you're with to pray for a few minutes uh, for all these things. Okay, so I'm going to read this, then we'll be done. And I want you guys to pray. This is Spurgeon. And now again is the minister's time. Now is the time for all of you who love souls. You may see men more alarmed than they are already. And if they should be, mind that you avail yourselves of the opportunity of doing them good. You have the balm of Gilead. When their wounds smart, pour it in. You know of him who died to save. Tell them of him 
Lift high the cross before their eyes. Tell them that God became man, that man might be lifted to God. Tell them of Calvary and its groans and cries and sweat of blood. Tell them of Jesus hanging on the cross to save sinners. Tell them that there is life for a look at the crucified one. Tell them that he is able to save to the uttermost all them that come unto God by him. Tell them that he is able to save even at the eleventh hour to say to the dying thief, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Uh, Thanks for tuning in today. Like I said, this is going to evolve over the next few weeks. If there are ways that um, we can help you, please let us know. You can email me or just email info at Oak City Church. And, uh, and we will be in touch a lot over the next few days and the next few weeks. Thanks a lot. Have a great week.